Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 20, Drew rambles about his daughter, and we talk to Sarah Henrich about empowering youth. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how are things going for you? Pretty good. Uh, We had a really good conversation with Sarah this week, kind of about empowering youth. And this struck struck a chord with me, especially because I have a, a young daughter. She's about to turn two. And I've been thinking a lot about how to, you know, foster creativity with her and just kind of allow her to explore whatever creative avenues that she wants to once she gets a little bit older. So yeah, it was nice talking to Sarah about some of the ideas she has. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your experience with uh, youth in your church and working with youth and, you know, what sorts of things do you think will transcribe then to your parenting? (laughs) Well, hopefully all of the things I do right and none of the mistakes I make. Um, (laughs) But no, I think I've mentioned on the podcast once or twice before, there's a there's a teenage girl in our congregation that is very involved with our, our worship team. She plays Cajon almost every Sunday. Uh, and we've also started working her into playing a little bit of bass and a little bit of mandolin. I know in her, in school and in her free time, she's also been picking up violin and piano and guitar. So I think in a few years here, she's going to just kind of really blow everybody away with how talented she is. But when she first started playing with us, she was very kind of hesitant and just she she was happy to play and everything, but she wanted you to show her what to do every single time, which made sense. You know, she had never really played Cajon before, so showing her the different beats and everything you wanted her to play made sense. But as she's grown and everything and been doing this for a couple of years now, I've been trying to, you know, give her less and less direction so that she can just kind of explore and figure out what works and and just something Jason Jasperson said a couple weeks ago when we were talking to him was just catch him doing the right thing. Uh, so just whenever she does come up with something really good on her own, just kind of be very effusive in my praise. Like, yeah, that's that's why I didn't give you direction because I was waiting for you to come up with something that cool. That was really good. So I'm hoping stuff like that, you know, kind of translates to once my daughter gets a little bit older to just kind of catch her doing the right thing and just give her the freedom to to make mistakes, but also to to figure out things that I wouldn't uh, if I was just telling her what to do all the time, but just let her find kind of her own creative path, as it were. I think that's an important thing because a lot of times we like to see people do things the exact way we did it. And the way we did it, I heard a quote recently that was saying what we're doing now is actually preparing our kids for a world that doesn't exist yet. Think of your daughter, for example, if she's almost two, what's life going to look like when she turns 16 or 18 or when she goes to college? Those things are, are different. And that same thing is true in the church. We are we are training up a new core of, of musicians, of whatever, for for a church that doesn't exist yet. There's a possibility that you know they'll have that opportunity. And if we let them explore and not try to keep them in a box. I think that's the very important thing. And one ways of doing that is exactly what we're going to hear uh, in the interview with the program that Sarah has, where they just allow the children to explore with music and learn. Let's get to that interview now.
Today, we have the privilege of welcoming Sarah Henrich to the podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Sarah, for those listening who don't know much about you, could you give a little bit of an introduction? Sure. Yeah, my name is Sarah Henrich. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm married to Scott Henrich. He's the pastor of Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Knoxville. And I am a mom. I just had a little baby in October. And I previously taught in Milwaukee. I was with the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music and did some teaching as an associate director of the Milwaukee Children's Choir and then have done worship music wherever I've lived. So yeah, a little bit of everything. But right now I'm mostly a mom and I do early childhood music and I do worship music. Cool. So one of the reasons we really wanted to talk to you today is because of the work you've done with uh, with children's choirs and things like that before, um, especially mm-hmm. with something like the Milwaukee Conservatory. So to start with a, a nice broad question, Beyond the obvious, the fact that, you know, children are our future, why why do you find it so important to empower youth, especially in the arts? Yeah, well, I mean, that is obvious, the, the obvious answer, as you said, you know, they are the future. But I find when um, we empower youth, whether it be really young kids, teenagers, I learn a lot from them myself. And then it's, there always seems to be you know, the gap between the older and younger generation comes together more. You know, it's not just the teacher and the student. It's, it's, it, it can become a really powerful learning experience for all of those involved. And then, of course, you know, I wouldn't be where I am had I not had people mentoring me and working with me. So, yeah, so I really see the value for many different reasons. But, yeah, because they kids are eventually are going, to, are going to be the ones doing the teaching, it's important that we take the time to educate them for sure and empower them. Sarah, what are some of the biggest barriers you found to empowering youth? And perhaps more importantly, what have you found to help overcome those barriers? Yeah, this, this could be the long answer one, just because there are so many um, different scenarios that have potential barriers that have come up. I mean, there is the there's cultural barriers, there are, are actual human barriers, <laughs> and then there's uh, psychological barriers, you know, with, with you know, the, the children slash teenagers slash with the adults working with the kids. Um, so I don't know what you want to hear about first. <laughs> Go in order. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds good. I mean, I've really f- have been fortunate to work with you know, kids in in different situations that I've grown up with. You know, in, in Milwaukee, I worked in a variety of different schools. Um, my most recent position through the conservatories was trying to build a music program at a, a school in Southside Milwaukee. And most of my students, I would I would say, ninety eight percent of them were Latinos. And so, having to really work on building relationships with those students in order to to reach them was was really important because there were times that I completely missed the boat on, on trying to find ways to connect them to what I was trying to teach them. And so, you know, the, that cultural barrier was a, was a huge learning curve for me. And then to overcome that, it really just took a lot of patience and really a lot of, of, of investing in relationships with the, with the students that helped a great deal. You mentioned human barriers. What could you expand oh. on that a little bit? So with human barriers, I would say sometimes, I hate to say it, but parents can sometimes get in the way of of their child moving forward with their creativity and exploring their strengths, not intentionally by any means, I, 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 but I've, I can think of a few instances where, you know, I'll have a parent step in and, and try to do the work 
for their child or or try to be the one to you know make make suggestions that don't really fit what we're trying to accomplish or, or what their their child is is trying to do within lessons or with within the classroom which can be really hard because you know as parents we really want to help our our kids succeed and see them do well and it can be hard to sit by and and watch them make mistakes which is a really important part of the learning process and learning to create and to excel mistakes are a part of that um and then also you know sometimes too it's especially i think this is more so in in schools, I haven't really seen this in any church communities, but you, you know, if you're working with a group of students, especially if it's a new program or it's just been a hard road to try to get the arts up and running in your school, sometimes you know a, a person in leadership who doesn't value the arts um, can you know cause a lot of they just won't be supportive, and that can really make it hard to have the resources you need to help your students succeed. And uh, to overcome that, that just that just takes a lot of, again, a lot of patience, but also a lot of conversations with with your team members and with your administration about the value of the arts and having specific examples about um, the research that's been done to show how the arts influence your cognitive development and social development, all of those things. And then and having, you know, anecdotes and testimonials from your students. And but that's can be a really hard hard thing to work through is when you don't have the support from your own peers. And then the last one, psychological. Yeah. So this one too, when kids are, are growing up and they're, they're trying to, to figure out, you know, what they want to do, what they want to try. I feel like it's almost harder for them than it was for us when we were their age, because they have, you know, social media and they have, you know, pop culture is just coming at them all the time. So they're, they're constantly playing the comparison game. And that, I see that more so, especially with, um, you know, the preteens, teens, when they're, you know, younger, then they'll be a little more bold to to try anything. But as they get older, they, they tend to want to, you know, not put themselves out there because they don't want to be ridiculed or they don't think they're good enough because they're comparing themselves to something they've seen before. And that can be really hard. And so it's important to create a culture of positivity and encouragement and a place where they feel safe to make mistakes. That's that's a um, that's that's huge for them. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple times now this whole idea of it being okay to make mistakes. What have you mm-hmm. found any sort of like best practices or or things that have worked for you in the past to create that environment? Yeah, I mean, well, here's 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 a specific example with the Milwaukee Children's Choir. The groups that I worked with, you know, doing a lot of a lot of team builder activities, you know, a lot of icebreaker activities at the beginning just to help them build relationships with each other is really important, you know, because th- they'll be much more comfortable making mistakes in front of, you know, people they trust <laughs> as opposed to people they don't know um, is what I found. And then and then be, as an adult, you know, I make mistakes all the time. And then when I make a mistake to own it in front of them and say, hey, I messed up isn't that funny? Like, and then, you know, and then go back and, and show that it's okay to make a mistake and move on. And I had a student speak up one time because we were working on this song that was really challenging for them. They just, they were trying to practice at home and coming back to rehearsal and they just were having a really hard time with it because it was in a different language and everybody was singing in different rhythms and I, I can't remember what I said. I just, I think I just said 
something along the lines of, you know, what if you guys, what if, what if we sing through this and, and you just made as many mistakes as you wanted? Don't worry about, about trying to sing this perfectly because they were, they were getting upset with themselves that they couldn't sing it. And we sang through it and it went the best it had ever gone. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I stopped and I said, why do you think that happened? And this little fourth grade boy raised his hand and said, it's because we weren't afraid. We weren't afraid to make mistakes. And I just, I just was so humbled in that moment because then and there, I mean, it was just, it, it was awesome. It's <laughs> like, this is why, this is why singing together is so important. This is why the arts are so important. This is why, this is why we do what we do. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Just kind of, since this is kind of a, a podcast that tries to connect these things to worship sometimes, I know you yeah. don't have a, a whole lot of experience necessarily like directing children's choirs in church and things like that. But when it comes to, to integrating children into church, into worship services, sometimes you can get this hesitancy, whether it's from the pastor or parents or the rest of the congregation or whatever, because kids make mistakes or maybe aren't, aren't quite as, as practiced or polished as, as some people who have been doing it for longer. So you have this hesitancy of, well, we want to make sure that the worship is still excellent, but at the same time, we want to be empowering our youth and, and showing them that this is something that they can do too and that they can aspire to. So do you have any thoughts as far as that goes about where the how to balance those two things? Oh, for sure. Well, I, I and I know this, that's a, it's kind of more of a philosophical question, right? You know, because sure, everybody yeah. has their own opinions about what worship, you know, what is excellence and so on and so forth. But I think it's, I'm in the camp that, you know, we should have kids doing as much as possible. And obviously, you know, you wouldn't have a beginning piano student, you know, leading hymns from the piano <laughs> or organ or whatever. So I think it's about, about finding where they, f they fit in, you know? So if you have a student that, that wants to get involved, but it really is just getting started and with their instrument or with singing or, or, you know, whatever is find a small way for them to be involved. You know, whether it's playing something for pre-service or, you know, or if there's an offering, have them play during offering and then give them a chance to, uh, to practice before the service in the space. So that, because, you know, a lot of the mistakes, quote unquote, that people might be afraid of affecting, you know, worship can sometimes be avoided just from giving that student time to, to be comfortable in that new setting. So I think that's uh, definitely a way that can help when I have, like if I have voice students that sing for church, I make sure to, to practice with them before church practice in the church, practice singing, you know, you know, with a microphone, if they need to use a microphone, doing all of that. So that way they can do it with confidence and then, and then telling them, you know, this is not about, about you performing and it's about you giving back to, giving an offering to God. It's not something that we do for attention. It's something that we do out of thankfulness in our heart. And, you know, that's not just for adults to do in worship. I, it's, it's, I think it's really important for kids to experience that too. What's the name of the, the early childhood group that you have at your church for music? Yeah, I just, I just started that this year. Okay. <laughs> I call I'm calling it music makers. I'm really excited because I, there's people at our congregation that help me you know, think about marketing for it and somebody designed a logo for it. So it's really been a team effort. And then we got a grant to purchase a whole bunch of, you know, high quality instruments um, to use for the classes. 
so it's um, early childhood classes for babies through preschoolers. And so I teach, I teach sessions uh, that run throughout the year. And then I'm, I'm planning some community events too, that'll be free for the public and our surrounding communities. So I'm really excited about that. It's been a really fun way to, as a mom, to connect with other families and um, do a little bit of teaching, but then also have it be outreach for our church as well. I know there are some churches who do like a mommy and me type program where they get together um, with caregivers and, and small children. And one of the things they often include is music. What made you decide that music should be the primary focus of this group? Well, I mean, it is an, a niche of mine. So that's what I felt, felt more felt most comfortable doing. You know, I think of the experiences that God put in my life, like at the conservatory, I, I never really intended on getting into early childhood, but there was a need for it at the conservatory. I ended up teaching it and I ended up loving it. And I remember thinking, you know, someday down the road, if I'm ever at a church that, you know, is needing some programming or wants to find a way to get into the community, I feel like this is a really great opportunity because, People are looking for things to bring their kids to that they can't do on their own. You know, not not everybody, not every parent can introduce music to their child in the way that that a professional can. And so they, so people are looking maybe for things like that. But then it also is a way for their their really you know young child to be around other kids and to to be social and and singing and playing together. It's um, it's just a huge learning opportunity for their little one too. So um. Because our church does a mornings with mommy program as well, which is really awesome, and we have families come to that. And but our especially where we are in Knoxville, there's just young families all over the place, and there really aren't many music programs. I mean, there's a couple that I've heard of, so it's it's definitely a gap that um, I thought could be filled. And then you also mentioned um, getting a grant for that. Was this something that you have experienced with in the with in the past, or is it your first time? Uh, getting a grant for a music program? Because I think there are listeners who probably are wondering, how can I get a grant to maybe help start something at my church or help, uh, you know, something for my community too? Yeah, for sure. I've, um, well, I had experience with with grants just um, working with them at the conservatory and, and seeing how they were so important for getting programming going. And and obviously the grant we got for this was quite a bit smaller than, than those I got, we got in Milwaukee. But I just put together you know, a, a description of what I was thinking, put together a budget of, of every possible expense, you know, for getting it started, you know, made sure I had all my ducks in a row for making it very clear what everything was, what the vision was. And then I, I just applied for a couple grants. Since this was through our church, you know, was, was going to be an outreach thing for our church as well. Not just, you know, part-time work for me, but I really wanted to be, I wanted to be mission-minded with it. We applied for a grant through Board for Home Missions, and then another grant as well, just in case, you know, that one didn't work out. So it was, it's, there's people out there that, that want, you know, to put money towards things that are, are, are good for, you know, youth and, and good for churches. And this is definitely one of those programs for sure. Awesome. And we're really excited to have you also present at this year's Hearts and Hands workshop with your cousin, Lydia. Yeah. Now, we don't want to give it all away, but could you just give us kind of a like quick elevator pitch about what you guys are going to talk about? <laughs> sure. Well, it's still in the works. We haven't, uh, we've kind of just talked outline uh, so far and we're working on content right now. But essentially, we just want to talk about, you know, the the risks that are important to take when you are are functioning, you know, full speed as a as an artist 
you know, musician in our case. And so that includes, you know, being vulnerable. It includes, uh, you know, seizing opportunities, you know, saying yes to a lot of things and not being afraid to fail. <laughs> uh, so kind of talking about those things and, and um, giving examples from our own experience and then um, kind of tying in with some, some, uh, some of our favorite literature out there that can talk about all of those things as well. Awesome. Well, we really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to talk with you guys. Well, that just about does it for another episode of the podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you on our social media accounts at Wells Creatives or on our email at heartsenhancedpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for all of your support at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash heartsenhancedpodcast. For those of you who haven't checked it out yet, you can find bonus uncut episodes there and other features that can be unlocked at different levels. We thank you for all your support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.